Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nojia Dean. Today is Friday, March 18th. Coming up, there's a reboot of the 90s sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and it features a director, musicians, fashion designers, and artists from Kansas City. I'm trying to speak for men of color, black men. A lot of us have not been seen, we're still not being seen. Plus, how Kansas City's new health director plans to tackle two epidemics, COVID-19 and violence. But first, some headlines. Missouri is ending a program for at-home COVID-19 testing. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. After March 31st, Missouri's health department will no longer offer free at-home COVID tests or processing for test kits. The state program began last May, but was barely used until January, when the Omicron surge caused more people to seek testing. Missouri officials cited decreasing demand and greater availability of tests elsewhere for the program's end. Residents are encouraged to use any remaining at-home test kits now before they expire. Just under 200 new confirmed COVID cases are reported in Missouri each day. The family of an exonerated Kansas City, Kansas man is seeking more than $100 million for his wrongful conviction. KCUR's Peggy Lowe reports. Lamont McIntyre spent 23 years in prison for a double murder in 1994 he didn't commit. McIntyre and his mother Rose now seek damages from the unified government of Wyandotte County, saying the UG is responsible because the KCK Police Department knew about the behavior of one of its former detectives, Roger Golubsky, and failed to rein him in. The McIntyres say Golubsky abused black women, using them for sex, then as informants to clear cases. The UG says it can't be held liable under a legal doctrine that bars suing a government. A federal judge has set a November 7th trial date. The Kansas House of Representatives Committee has endorsed a bill aimed at stopping local governments from adopting sanctuary city policies. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service reports the legislation targets a new Wyandotte County ordinance. Wyandotte County now prohibits local law enforcement from working with federal immigration authorities unless there's a threat to public safety. The county also makes special IDs available to people who are undocumented so that they can access government services. The effort to nullify those policies is being pushed by Kansas Attorney General Derek Schmidt, the likely Republican challenger to Democratic Governor Laura Kelly. Schmidt says local officials shouldn't be allowed to turn a blind eye to the law. But Democratic Representative Boog Heiberger, a former mayor of Lawrence, says Republicans are politically selective when when it comes to overriding the judgment of local officials. This body is at least as restrictive to my community as the federal government is in the state of Kansas. I'm getting kind of tired of it. The committee's party line vote sends the bill to the House floor. Last month, Dr. Marvia Jones was announced as the next director of the Kansas City Health Department. She has experience not only in mental health and violence prevention, but also at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Now, Jones enters the job when health officials across the country are treating COVID-19 as endemic. KCUR's Steve Kraske asked her what that means for Kansas City and what else she plans to tackle in her new role. Here's an excerpt of their conversation on Up to Date. 
Yeah, I've been really excited to come to work every day. Just really optimistic about everything that we can do together as a team. Just, I guess that would be the best way to describe it. It's exciting, challenging in some ways, but mostly just exciting. And there's probably no doubt that in the last few weeks, you've solved all of Kansas City's public right. health issues, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All of them. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> you know, you completed a fellowship at the Centers for Disease Control on your way to becoming the health director of Kansas City. Tell us about working at the CDC and how impactful that was on your life. I think... The surprising aspect was that, you know, really people are really learning in inside. It's not an agency that says we have all the answers. It says we are looking for them. Hmm. Um, and so I think um, there being there really helped me understand how to analyze policies and look at the different impacts that they can have on different aspects of a community. You can't you might go in with an idea of what should be a public good public health policy, but you need to really examine the future impacts of it. <laughs> so you spent many years in the public health field with a focus on violence prevention. How are you hoping to utilize that experience in this new job? Some of the best parts about that experience are just the when you study something like violence prevention, you have to get really good at understanding the multi, multiple factors and facets that impact a public health problem. And so you learn that it's more than just what you see on the surface. And so you have to think about everything that's going on in a community um, that may not be getting the attention it needs. Your department views violence around the city as a public health issue. We've talked about that before, Dr. Jones, but talk about what the KC Health Department does on that front right now. So uh, we have a few things going on. One of the most uh, commonly heard of is our program, Aim for Peace, which is based off of the Cure Violence model, which involves staff really going out into the community and working to resolve conflicts before they escalate. Also, in partnership with that program is their hospital program, where they kind of do something similar, but in the hospital uh, for people who have been involved in violent injuries. We also have some programming that seeks to kind of get upstream, like I was talking about, where folks who um, are within our target areas re can receive through grant funds a small amount of money to launch a, a small business. So these are micro grants uh, to start their small businesses with the idea that having some economic um, opportunity and being able to hire the local people in their neighborhoods uh, we can increase access to, to economic mobility. Um, we also have sort of our KC Blueprint work, which has been ongoing for the past couple of years, where we reach out to neighborhoods and other entities to get them to understand what they can be doing from an environmental condition standpoint to address violence in their neighborhoods or prevent violence in their neighborhoods. Why is it more complicated than it seems, this idea of yeah. violence prevention? Right. Well, I think, Steve, that's because most people think about violence as something they, they see on the 11 o'clock news where someone has met uh, some sort of fatal or non-fatal outcome as a result of a gun or something. But in my role, I have to think about what um, types of experiences they had before that. What was their conditions growing up? Uh, what was their housing sufficient? Was their nutrition sufficient? Did they have access to uh, healthy foods? Were their neighborhoods invested in? Um, what types of environments did they um, attend school? And so it's just much more complicated um, than just that immediate incident. Why do you think all those background issues matter, doctor? What, what's, right. what's the point of all that? 
All right. So if we don't get to those issues, if we don't pay attention to those things, then we will maintain a steady state of being reactive to what happens. We'll continue to tally up the numbers of deaths every year and say we don't know what's going on. Um, and so if we really want to get ahead of those numbers and actually prevent um, future deaths and future injuries that you know debilitate the individual as well as their family, we have to get ahead of it. And by getting ahead of it uh, and getting ahead of it means looking at these other factors. You know, many states and municipalities around the country are making a transition now towards treating COVID as endemic. Where does Kansas City stand on that front, Dr. Jones? Yeah, we are cautiously optimistic. Uh, We are very happy to see our cases going down. We're even happier to see the hospitalizations going down. Again, just continue to help people understand or try to help people understand that They really should think about who's in their household as well as their own, if they are immunocompromised or what have you. And to to wear a mask in indoor spaces, especially when you can't socially distance. But other than that, we are really just watching to see what else is going on. We want to make sure that we prepare for whatever might be around the corner. You know, part of endemicity or that endemic status is knowing that there may be seasonal upticks. And so what we're doing now in this season of decline is preparing for those upticks. Mm -hmm. What does this change, this move from pandemic to endemic status mean to you in terms of how you operate day to day? Yeah, uh, I say it gives me a little bit more comfort. So if my family, if we're going to uh, go to breakfast or something um, and it's not a crowded restaurant, uh, and we are able to distance ourselves. Uh, we may not be wearing masks. Um, but if I am somewhere in line or there's a packed, you know, coffee shop line, what have you, I will put on a mask, you know? And so it really, where I see it is, um, using what we've already learned about the transmission of COVID-19 and how it spreads and when it's more likely to, to spread, Um, And using that in a way that uh, guides our daily decisions. I've made sure that my family is vaccinated, including my boys. Um, And we just continue to, to be watchful, but hopeful. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske and Kansas City's new health director, Marvia Jones, on Up to Date. For decades, Harold Smith has been creating colorful paintings and multimedia works out of his living room in Kansas City, Kansas. And now they're featured in the new TV show, Bel Air, a reboot of the sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. KCUR's Laura Spencer has more. Ten years is a long time. Let me show you around. In the first episode of the TV show Bel Air, you'll see one of Harold Smith's paintings. There's a cluster of mask-like faces on the dining room wall as a teenager named Will walks into his aunt and uncle's Bel Air mansion. Hillary, look who I found. And in the fourth episode, smaller paintings, colorful portraits with broad brushstrokes in a record store. Smith's work is also on view in Kansas City at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art in a group exhibition of African-American artists called Testimony. And it was in a recent exhibition at the Nerman Museum of Contemporary Art. Both museums collect his work. Harold Smith is having a bit of a mid-career moment. Smith is 59 years old, and he's been working as a painter in Kansas City for decades. This kind of success feels like a long time coming. I mean, I'm happy about it. Um, I think my reaction would be different maybe if I was 20, 30 years younger. When you're later in life and these opportunities open up, you grab them, 
but in the back of your mind, you kind of know you're like running against the clock. So you want to maximize it. A self-taught artist for years, his Kansas City, Kansas house has doubled as a studio. Now he has a large studio space through a three-year artist residency at Studios, Inc., and an unrestricted cash grant of $10,000 from a Charlotte Street Foundation Award. He's able to buy new materials and has more room to use them. You take that one right there, that the canvas with the uh, spray paint. There's just no way I could have done that in my living room. Can you imagine spray paint? My whole, my whole house would have been red. Yeah, so immediately there are things that I've been wanting to do, literally for years, that now I can do. This professional success comes after a turbulent time. The COVID-19 pandemic and the protest movement spurred by the death of George Floyd. Smith designed one of the Black Lives Matters murals painted on Kansas City streets in 2020. Across the country and in the Kansas City metro, the pandemic hit black communities hard. The death. You know, I can hardly talk about it today. It was like a, a span of about eight weeks where it's like classmates. If it wasn't somebody I knew personally, it was their brother, their sister, their mama, their daddy, their daughter. Smith says he kept teaching art classes online during the pandemic at Lincoln Middle School. He's been a teacher for three decades. But last year, in the fall, after in-person classes started up, he made plans to retire. And he says he knew it was the right decision. The guy that they interviewed that eventually took the position, he came in for an interview to meet me, former student. And he hung around for about a week, coming in a lot, and the kids just took to him. Smith hopes to mentor younger artists as he keeps doing his own work. His current moment feels all the more significant considering his show three years ago at the Nerman. It paired Smith's paintings with poetry by Glenn North and explored the invisibility of black men. It was titled, Can You See Me? In a sense, I am being seen more now, but I think that it doesn't take away from the mission. The narrative is that I'm trying to speak for men of color, black men, A lot of us have not been seen. We're still not being seen. But now, with more time to create, a bigger place to do it, and additional resources, he's pushing back with more color. I know know before the pandemic, I had done a series of black-on-black artworks, and I I might have done one or two after the pandemic started, but I feel a deeper desire to have a more enthusiastic use of color, I guess. I think it's more vibrant. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Laura Spencer. You can see Harold Smith's work in a new group exhibition at Studios, Inc. in testimony through March 27th at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art and in episodes of Bel Air. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Laura's story about Harold Smith and hear Steve's full interview with Marvia Jones, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news coverage from Kansas City's NPR station. On Monday, we'll take a closer look at what's happening in the Kansas legislature. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>